Thank you, McCoy. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading, said Philip? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. This is the passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So there are a couple of things to notice here in this passage. First, the context. We're in the stage in the life of the church where it says they are trying to spread the good news. They want to tell everyone about Jesus, as many as possible. And they're traveling to densely populated areas. Philip has been evangelizing in Samaria to the north of Jerusalem. And the Spirit is telling him now to go to Gaza, which is south of Jerusalem. And so in obedience, in hearing the Lord's voice, Philip goes. Now Gaza at the time is a city that was destroyed approximately 100 years before this time. And it wouldn't be built for another 30. So basically the Spirit is telling him to go what is much like a ghost town. So it didn't make sense to Philip. But he went. Gaza was 50 miles away from Jerusalem. It would have been a two-day walk. So if you're a salesperson in a company and your CEO says he's going to be sending you to an abandoned business that's 17 hours away, you would think, what on earth? This is not a good strategy. But this is how God works sometimes. Sometimes we'll be told to go to places that make no sense. Early on, Philip meets the Ethiopian, and then it says Philip vanishes. What we find is that it's not about Gaza. It's about the journey to Gaza, and most specifically, it's about this individual that he meets on the journey. God does some interesting things in this story. The person Philip encounters 
is an Ethiopian eunuch, which means that he has been castrated. We know that he's probably a God-fearer, someone who's not Jewish, but someone who finds the Jewish religion and the discussion of God very interesting. He serves in the treasury of the queen, and he's acquired one of the scrolls of the Old Testament, the scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading it in the chariot. And what we know is that he must have been a man of means because a scroll would have been very expensive at that time. Eunuchs were familiar figures in the royal courts of ancient cultures. They were considered to be loyal, they were considered to be safe, and they were considered to be disposable. Though they were servants or slaves, many rose to positions of authority, as this man did. He had traveled 1,500 miles from his home in Ethiopia to worship at the temple, even though eunuchs were barred at that time from full participation in Israel's worship. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says eunuchs will not be accepted in the assembly of God because they have violated one of the core principles. We have to wrestle with the fact that God is sending Philip to a man who has been excluded based on what we understand the scripture to be saying. The eunuch says, what would prevent me from being baptized? And the answer is nothing. Now, this would have been scandalous to the religious order of the day. He wasn't asked to change to be invited into the kingdom. And not only did this eunuch receive the grace of God through baptism, today roughly 65% of Ethiopia is Christian, and the Ethiopian church traces their roots back to this very eunuch. He became the carrier and the catalyst for a new world of Christians. God told Philip to go to this man, and yet again it violated the Deuteronomy passage. The text says he is carrying the scroll of Isaiah, and this too is interesting, because in Isaiah chapter 56 it says this, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. So we have a story of a God who is helping us as his children grow and stretch so that more and more people are included in the kingdom of God. This story of Philip with this eunuch is a lesson on who should be included in the kingdom, but also who should be included in Christ's church. People that we might not consider qualified, not eligible, are included. Jesus says this, Are you thirsty? Then come and drink. This passage makes me wonder, what have I demanded of people that God doesn't demand? What walls and barriers have I put up that have stopped them from reaching out to a loving God? This passage teaches us that God extends love to all who are thirsty, not those that we decide are worthy. This man became a seed to his nation, and this is what the radical acceptance of God is like. This is kingdom living. God's love is expansive, and so our love needs to be expansive. He extends extraordinary grace, and we too must extend extraordinary grace. 
Maybe we have tried to get better, to do better, to do more, to be enough. And God says, you are enough. You don't have to perform for me. As I have prayed and meditated on this passage, what kept coming to mind was the story of the foundry and the ways that these two stories parallel. If you're new here today or if you're just visiting, you might not know that several years ago, Michael Crocker, one of our pastors, and several others heard the Spirit's call to go and to open a coffee shop off campus. This vision was brought to David, our senior pastor, and to the administrative board, and the decision was made to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, even though it didn't make sense. The church had already opened one coffee shop, and to open a second was stretching the faith of all involved. But the coffee shop was opened. And over the last several years, groups from the foundry have traveled as missionaries to Costa Rica. They've collected funds and advocated for clean water for people living on the other side of the world. They've ministered to their neighbors in Monta Vista. They have mowed. They've cleaned lawns that were in need of maintenance. And they have developed a faith community that worships at the foundry weekly. The foundry has been a gathering place for all of us to go to study, to meet new people, and to evangelize. It has been a hub for evangelism. But just this past week, the foundry closed its doors. Through prayer and conversation, it seemed that the season was coming to a close. In the same way that Philip went to Gaza for a set time, our presence at the foundry was for a set time. God sets our calendar And out of obedience, we listen, and as best we can, we follow. And just as Philip was sent to an individual that had been separated from the religious community because of his sexuality, we too are called to go out and find those who are disconnected from God in order to share his love and his acceptance. God sent Philip to reach one person, and that person changed a nation. We may never know the full impact of all that happened through the coffee shop ministry, but I thought it would encourage you today to hear from one person whose life was touched through his time spent at the foundry. His story involves a woman who, like the eunuch, was isolated from a church community because of her sexuality. But God saw her, and he saw her need, and he sent a messenger, much like Philip, who had his heart. This morning, I have invited Adam Schindler to come and to share a little bit of his story. Adam Schindler was a pastor in San Marcos. He is a member of the quarry, and he is also the assistant worship leader at Riverside. Please welcome Adam Schindler. Good morning. Thank you, Linda. When she asked me to do this, I was excited because I've been exceedingly blessed and nourished by the ministry down at the foundry, um, by the ground that was tilled and the stuff that was sown in that place. Um, And I started going there when I was pastoring, and it was so nice just to show up somewhere and experience freedom and life and vitality, and I didn't have to fund it or staff it. And I just really appreciated that. And so I wanted to thank you guys this morning for your faithfulness and your willingness and your vision um, to support that ministry over the years. I've said that while I was down there that the, the foundry was a ministry playground for me. If I wanted to get work done, I went to Starbucks. If I wanted to go have interesting conversations with interesting people, I would go to the foundry. 
And there was one time I was sitting on the sofa there at the foundry, and I was on the phone with my wife, and um, we were just having a conversation. And at one point in her conversation, she handed the phone to my two-year-old daughter, and being two, she took off with the phone. So my wife was making food or something, and she couldn't chase down my daughter. So I'm in the foundry trying to coax my two-year-old back to mommy to give the phone back. It was just a normal conversation with my wife and my daughter. But when I hung up the phone, a woman sitting across from me, we'll call her Mary, she leaned in and she said, excuse me, sir. I can tell that you're a good man by the way you speak to the women in your life. And that was a high compliment to me. And it was also just the way that conversation started at the foundry. The next time that I went to the foundry, there was uh, Mary was there. And when she saw me coming, she got real excited and she jumped up and she grabbed me and she took me over to a woman who uh, she had just met and she liked to make friends. And so she introduced me to this woman and she introduced me as a minister. And the woman who was smiling when she heard the word minister, the smile quickly faded to a bit of a scowl. And Mary interceded for me. She said, oh, no, no, no. He's one of the good ones. I found out what that meant a little bit later on. Um, I was walking into an interesting situation with very apparent hurt, and I was representing the religious establishment. And so we got to hear their hearts uh, and their stories. But as soon as uh, she introduced me as a minister, uh, I don't think that this woman, her friend, was buying it. And she looked at me and she said, I'm a lesbian. Is God sending me to hell? That was the first thing she said to me. And I honestly laughed a little bit and smiled and said, Hi, I'm Adam. Nice to meet you. That was a heavy first question. And then I sat down at her table and we began to talk. She then launched into something that I imagine she'd rehearsed or experienced a number of times throughout her life. She started quoting me specific scripture verses in Leviticus and Corinthians and telling me, um, really asking me this question. Does your God, whom you say you serve, does he condemn me to hell because of my sin? She wanted an answer. Well, I said, man, those are really big concepts. That's, I mean, and that's an important question, right? And I said, we'll probably need a little bit of time to talk through that. I mean, because we're talking about understanding hell and sin and judgment and condemnation. I said, these are big, these are big topics. It's then that Mary came to her rescue and said, I think what she's trying to say is, if she came to your church, would she be welcome? I said, ah. That's an interesting conversation. Now we're talking about the heart, not just some idea. And so we talked about that. And throughout the next hour or so, I had apologized to her for pain or judgment that she had received from the church. And we talked about Jesus and we talked about the way of love. And this lady never pray the sinner's prayer with me in the foundry, though I did pray with her on a number of occasions for for peace and healing and God's presence uh, to come on her. But about three or four months after I met her, she wept as she told me her family history about how she felt like she had been abandoned by her family because of her lifestyle. And she looked at me with these tears in her eyes and she said, I don't have any next of kin. 
Maybe you're my next of kin. I think this woman felt loved. I want to ask you this morning, do you think she saw Jesus in that? Some might be feeling a fear right now that, that, verbal, that because I didn't verbally confront poor behavior, that I was somehow soft on sin. Anyone ever feel that when you see sin around? Well, I don't think that I was. I mean, this woman lived under condemnation. And she came to me expecting condemnation. And I don't want to make any commentaries about the issue of homosexuality this morning. I'm not talking even about an issue at all. I'm speaking about a heart. Speaking about a human heart and a hurting human heart. And she needed love, not judgment and condemnation. To get what she'd never had, she needed to get something that she'd never received. She needed love. And I don't believe that love is ever soft on sin. We read it this morning in John. We've, we've sung it. We've said it a lot in church. Love. Well, love is not a concept. Love is a person. And love destroyed sin. Love nailed sin to the cross. Love triumphed over sin and gloried in the resurrection. Love released power to overcome sin and death on the day of Pentecost so that we would all now be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. We now, because of love, carry the message of love. And the message of love, the message of Jesus, the revelation of the Father, is not, you have done something wrong. That was not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is this. Be reconciled to the Father. He is not holding your sin against you. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 5, specifically verse 19. There is power in loving like Jesus. And much like the Ethiopian eunuch, I believe and I witness the world... The world is hungry and thirsty to know and worship God. They are. They're desperate. They don't know that they have a thirst for God. They think it's a thirst for something else. And they don't know the way. But we know the way. I know the way. We love like Jesus and we lead people to Jesus when we love like him and we release that love over them by not holding their sin against them. It was good enough for Jesus. The Father did it. Will we? It's important that we also know that we're not responsible for someone's salvation. But we are responsible to the Father to love like him and then to express his heart to the people that he shows to us. Jesus promises us that everyone who sees him will see the Father. Anyone who knows Jesus will know the Father. And then he defines, in John 17, verse 3, he defines eternal life. He defines salvation like that. He says, this is eternal life, to know the only true God and the Son whom he sent. We lead people to Jesus. We don't lead them to ourselves. We don't lead them to the Bible. We don't lead them to our ideology. We don't even lead them to church. 
Certainly we will use the Bible, we will use our church, we will use the stories that we have, but we lead them to Jesus because Jesus is alive. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, much like the eunuch, everything changes and nations, nations can come under the influence of the King of Kings.